today we are here with Stephen. And Stephen is here to say, I'm pretty sure, Darren, you may be one of our top, like, one or two most recurring guests on this podcast. I think Katie and Russell might have you beat by a couple. But in my mind, saying you're, like, one of the most recurring guests is, like, watching all the old clips of Conan or or Johnny Carson. And when people will come on and be like, oh, I'm the most recurring. Take that, Martha Stewart. And that's all to say that I just compared Johnny Carson, Conan O'Brien, The Tonight Show with Creating Magic. So uh, you compared me to Martha Stewart. So I'm really excited about this. I think I don't know. I don't know. Take that a compliment or is that a knock? I'm not sure what to do with that. Well, it means we've had you back multiple times. So therefore, (laughs) I would take it as a compliment. We're going to focus on that. I love that. No, it's so much fun. (laughs) And we also have Carrie. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Why don't we do, because we've had Darren before, but we haven't had you, Carrie. Why don't you give us a quick introduction and your Hogwarts house? Sure. Okay. Uh, My name's Carrie Fable. Uh, I am a freelance voiceover artist and I'm a proud Slytherin. (laughs) I've taken the Pottermore quiz about three times and every time I got Slytherin. So I'm I'm honest. I'm not just, you know, trying to rebel. And uh, yes, so I've I've been doing voiceover for, um, well, since 2014. So however long that is, math is not my specialty. Um, And I I met um, Darren actually at Conjuration, which is like a, you know, Harry Potter convention in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. I'll tell you what's funny is listeners right before we hit record, Darren, I forget his exact words, but he basically called us prepared and said, we know what we're doing, which we don't need to unpack that much further. Um, That's all to say that, you know, Carrie, Danny told me earlier in the week, of course, that we were speaking with you as well and that you you did the voiceover. I don't want to put the cart before the horse here because we'll get to it for the book that we're going to talk about tonight. That said, all of that completely just went in one ear and out the other. And as you were talking, I was like, she has a really perfect voice for like reading audiobooks. And that's all to say that I am along for the ride for this podcast as much as I am supposedly co-running the conversation. So um, it's a pleasure well, to have you. I'll brag on her a little bit. Like we, like seriously, Carrie has been working with Transfiguring Adoption for a while now. And we, I guess, like, I missed somehow that she does voice acting. And so, like, one day, like, I don't even know how we saw it. Like, we're like, hey, she does voice acting. And I went to her website. And my wife, Margie, and I are listening to, like, her stuff. And we're like, like, our jaws dropped. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, why have we not had her doing, like, well, like, it's like, you guys need to go to her website. If you've not been to her, like, you, like, will be entertained. Even if you're not looking for a voice actor you will be entertained and your day will be like a thousand times better. I'm not even joking. And if you're looking for a voice actor, like you found her now. Darren, 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 we'll, we'll do personal plugs at the end. Okay. No, no, do it now. She's that good. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) So I guess first things first, before we do dive into the book and the, the reason that I suppose we're all here tonight Darren, do you want to give a a quick state of the state on how things are going with Transfiguring Adoption since we last spoke? Yeah, so, um, wow, I didn't even think about that right now. Uh, So Transfiguring Adoption is, um, we've had, I mean, a lot of nonprofits have had an interesting time because of 2020 um, and the COVID pandemic. So we're still um, moving through with the COVID pandemic. We're still doing some amazing things. 
um, we are actually have found a niche in working with, um, we're still doing our media review service. So we're showing parents how to use books, movies, video games to process past trauma. Um, but we've also started adding um, using workshops. So we've been doing uh, online workshops, live online workshops, and then self-paced workshops for uh, various parents. Uh, and that's for your listeners. I'm not just talking. I know some of you turned off because you're like, I'm not a foster adoptive parent. We're actually doing it for also parents that are dealing with um, ACEs. That's adverse childhood experiences. That so might be a kiddo that your household might be going through a really rough re- divorce um, it might be a kiddo that went through the COVID pandemic and they're having issues with all that trauma. Um, so these workshops have been really great for the general public. But we've also, um, October 19th, um, since we are talking about the book, we are uh, releasing a new fantasy uh, fiction novel that's geared toward middle school to high school students uh, called Grit's Hope. And we're really excited about uh, unloading our book series a little bit more. Why don't we start talking a little bit about the book? Like, what is it about and what was your inspiration behind it? Yeah, so for those of your listeners that don't know, we came out with a book last year that was an activity book. So it was a playful engagement guide. and It was called A Guide to Magical Creatures Around Your Home. Um, it was written in a journal style and it was written, uh, we introduced people to magical creatures that had kind of, it introduced families to a creature, and then this creature has various play activities that go along with them, so uh, so that you can work through past traumatic, or even things like the fear of the dark, or the fear of thunderstorms, with your child doing play activities, so it's, it's a lot of, it. it's, um, like, play therapy is not a new thing, and this is not necessarily play therapy, I don't have the right credentials to call it that, but ba- therapists will say it's basically play therapy, we call it playful engagement, because again, I am not a therapist and don't claim to be one uh, trademark uh, or whatever I need to do, copyright, whatever, Um, small print. Um, So yeah, so uh, once we did that, a lot of people were really pushing me. They said, this is fun, but it's not like, I'm not getting introduced to the character as, and I'm not getting introduced to their personality or um, they're not going through an adventure or story. So I'm, I'm reading like the generic information. They're this tall, they're this color, they do this, but I, I want to know a story and I want to fall in love with them. And so that's when I was like, okay, well, let's like our, our board at Transfiguring Options. Like, Hey, it's so funny. Cause with the last book, they were like, Hey, guess what? You're writing a book. I'm like, Oh yeah. And they're like, yep. And you're going to publish it by the end of whatever, 2020. I'm like, Oh yeah. And so when that book came out, at the end of 2020, they're like, hey, guess what? You're going to publish another book. I'm like, oh, yeah. So uh, Grit's Hope has come out of that scenario. Um, Grit's Hope is about a little boy named Grit Brown. And he is moving to a new foster home with his two older siblings. They move into their new foster home and discover the secrets in the foster home are that they have magical creatures living around the house. Um, the fun part is that for fun-loving kids, families, adults, is that um, Grit has to deal with adventures that are whimsical, but he's also dealing with heavy topics like bullying, racial prejudice. Um, And he's also uh, having to just deal with the the prejudice of being a foster child. And so the public is actually seeing what it's like to be a foster child. Um, And because I think there are a lot of maybe misconceptions. Um, Like I'm thinking of like, people like have seen Little Orphan, like uh, Annie, 
Um, and they're like daddy Warbucks adopting her and like the whole, like there's just a lot of misconceptions with the foster children in the system and how it works. Um, and so this really gives people an insight and it's going to allow them to be empathetic toward kids that have been in that system so that we can, we can help them better. Um, it's, it's really, it should be, um, right now I'm being told by educators, therapists, and parents that it's just like, it's, it's started amazing conversations in their family. Um, I just had, uh, a test reader report back that their child said that they were depressed. That the story was over and they said, Oh, don't worry. They're working on another one and that cheered them back up again. But, um, so it's, it's been good. The, the critics have been giving us nothing but nice things. Yeah. That's certainly, um, a bizarre take on the book. Is it so good that it depressed me that it's over? So we get, um, if that's the worst review we get, I'll take it. Actually, the funniest one that we got was from, a professional in the foster care and adoption industry and also uh, a foster and adoptive mom. And she wrote to me and she said, this is amazing. A bunch of encouraging things. And she's like, this is the most real portrayal of foster care that I've ever seen. And my wife started laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing at this? I'm like, I'm really like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, it was good for me to hear it and hear the feedback. And she's like, I'm just laughing. She says, this is the most real portrayal because this whole book is like filled with magical creatures that live in a house. And this is the most real portrayal of foster care that she's seen. And I'm like, well, you know, so it's, it's, but it's been good. Like even um, the gal that's the head of the National Foster Care uh, Association, so that's national all over the U.S. Uh, even said, she even wrote me back and she said, this is amazing. Um, basically said, she's like, I, this isn't even my genre. Like, she's like, I would never get in, but she's like, I was hooked by chapter two. I'm, I'm curious and maybe I'm, you know, reading tea leaves that are actually just tea leaves. When I think about a lot of the content that Transfiguring Adoptions put out that I've seen, you know, over, over the past couple of years, I'm thinking maybe about a lot of the media guides and things like that. Right. It tends, my interpretation is it tends to be, hey, like this content is something that, by the way, deals with abandonment issues. Or it, it, it's, you frame the content very much as foster care. Like, like this is, this deals with issues of being a foster parent, guardian, or a foster child first, and other socioeconomic issues second. Whereas when I'm looking at the, the blurb that Danny sent me over, I think it was part of the advanced reader copy email, it went out. And again, maybe this is where I'm just reading tea leaves. You led with talking about how this book deals with, you know, difficult topics such as bullying and racial prejudice. And also, by the way, has characters with whom foster adopted children can relate. Am I reading anything into that? It's, it seems like it's just, it's a reverse on the formula. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I mean, not really. We just wanted to make sure that we really open this because everyone can learn something from this. And I feel like that's a hard thing with transfiguring adoption is, um, like even when we go to, we're with our, with our Potter friends and we're out with like the Potter community. Um, I think people get in this niche that we're in foster care and adoption and we are, that's what, that's what our niche is. That's what our focus is, but we're also helping other kids or other families that are, that are going through hard situations. And one thing that really struck me from 2020, um, were, were the racial tensions that were going around and seeing that. And it made me, it just made me sad. And I, myself realized, I I spoke with one of our board members who's an intelligent and amazing black woman. And I just had a real conversation with her because I was learning things that I've been in the dark about. And I was learning all these things about the racial tensions and different things and that I had no clue about. And so racial prejudice is it's, I would say it's lightly in the book because it was kind of um, 
like when it happened, I'm like, it's got it. Something's got to go in. Like it's, it's got, like, I've got to put it in there somehow. Um, wow. I'm trying to figure out if I, <laughs> after I do podcasts, my team tells me I talk too much as the second book it is going to deal with even probably a little bit more with, cause Grit is a mixed race child. And he is going, like, he's going to deal with a little bit more just noticing that I look different than, because he lives, in the first book, he lives in a rural community that's primarily Caucasian. And it, it he's going to start noticing a lot more that, hey, I look different than everyone um, in the second book. But it, even in this one, he's having to just reconcile, like, how he looks different and people are bullying him to the point where... Um, they, and it, it goes hand in hand, I think, because he's a foster child. So some kids, some people, uh, adults even, they preju- are prejudiced against foster children because they just assume because they're in foster care, that means the whole family was trouble. They're all drug dealers. So this kid must be major trouble. Um, I won't say that happens all the time, but it, it definitely happens. I wouldn't say it's uncommon. But that goes along with, too, like some of the kids in the book are like, oh, well, you have dark skin, so you, your family must be in a gang, or they must do drugs, or is that why you're not with your family? Like, and just making that, jumping to that assumption. Um, and I can remember um, living in a community where that was, um, I, I, I mean, I spoke with people where that was the case where, uh, like, I wanted to go visit, like, people in a certain area of town, and they were like, you don't go there, there are drug dealers and murderers there. And I'm like, and it was because the town had built this prejudice because people had darker skin there. Um, it was a rural community. And because they had darker skin there, they just assumed, well, everyone's trouble there. And it, I remember even that moment that, that, that surprised me. Cause I, 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 again, I think I'm just so, I think I live in a cave. Like I just figured like we, we live in 2021 and those prejudices don't exist. But like I said, last year, it just really, a lot of it hit me. I do want to add it was <laughs> it was kind of difficult to to do some of those of uh, those chapters. Um, it was I I was taken aback of like oh wow I have to I have to say this like I mean it and uh, <laughs> that was a little bit difficult. But I do want to say as as sort of an outsider I don't have a history with foster care. I just I came into um, transfiguring adoption. Uh, I really find that the book is very poignant. That you know obviously as Darren said this is for you know children and, and families who are going through these situations. But I, I also argue that it's it's great for those who have the you know quote unquote you know quintessential life um because it does put a realistic um you know, focus spotlight on um, what foster children have to go through. And, and like Darren said, even there, it's, it's very subtly done, but you know, there are, there's a, 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 I don't know if I'm saying too much, there's a teacher in the book um, and she means well, but some of the stuff she says, is just like, oh, you missed the mark there, you know? And, and so I, I feel like this would really benefit anybody because not only is it an adorable book <laughs> um, with stories and magical creatures, but the, the, the underlying, you know, heart behind it is so powerful and it, it is, it can reach a, you know, broad audience. So, yeah. So as you were writing the book, did you need to research like some of these topics more? I know that you deal with that you're in this world, but did you feel like you needed to research or talk to people for experiences to be able to write the story or where did that story come from for you? So most of it's come from my experiences and and working with children and and seeing or even working with other parents and hearing them tell stories. And so, like one thing I want to tell your listeners too is I'm I'm, I'm quite I, I'm trying to be quite clear 
with a lot of people that like, cause there are three kids in the book and I have four kids that are adopted out of foster care. So they're all like, Ooh, so who's who? And like, there's one girl and I have one daughter. And so everyone's like, and I'm like, they're, they're not like, there might be aspects or stories that are ba- based off of different things, but like, it's not like I said, oh, okay, like I'm going to take my kids and here's my kids or here's my wife and she's the foster mom and I'm the father. Like it's, it's, I'm grabbing different aspects from my, my journeys um, to put it all together. Um, and even with the teacher, because like, I think one thing I'm, I'm nervous about too, is like what Carrie is saying is so many people get into the teacher character because she, uh, well, for your listeners, like for, for the Potter world, like she would be kind of like the umbrage character. Right. So like, and she's not meaning to as a thing, like she really isn't meaning to, but she totally is. Um, so, but I'm, I'm like, I'm not basing this off of like, like, you know, I'm not basing it off a teacher. I'm not basing, like, it's just things that I'm pulling from around. So, um, but one thing that I will say that we, we were really sure to do is we did reach out to people that were in the black community. We did pulled in a former foster youth as a consultant. Um, her name's Phoenicia Neal. She's been working with us a lot, um, through the years. It was really important for me to have her in here because she worked on the last book project with us but again she was able to go through the book and she was able to look at it from a foster kids point of view and say yeah this would happen this wouldn't happen um things like it maybe don't say it this way because as a foster child it would make me feel like this and it would be detrimental to my to my success if you so like we really wanted to make sure that we were hitting things right because um, talking about imposter syndrome, I am a middle-aged white man and I'm writing a book that's dealing with racial prejudice and foster care. And I come at it from a foster father point of view. So I, I, I know that like a lot of people would be concerned about, okay, how can he write about this? Or, and I can remember having the conversation with one of our board members who I was talk- telling you about, um, this great, intelligent black woman, um, that she, I was just like, I was talking to Magnolia and I was like, Hey, like, I don't feel like I have a voice on this. Like, I feel like, I feel like, cause I'm a middle-aged white man. And she was like, no, you have a voice. She's like, in fact, she's like, people need to hear more middle-aged white men talking about this so that they stand up and say, Hey, there's something we need to look at. And so that kind of gave me the encouragement to go forward with the racial prejudice point of view, the bullying and different foster um, care type of things. Um, with that. But as far as like the actual fantasy and the magical creature stuff, that's all like me playing with my kids. Like, and sometimes like I would read through the book with them. Like I would read through the book with my teenage kids and I'm like, so what do you think? And they'd be like, you know, they'd just start making up stories and they would start making up stuff. And I was like, you know, pick and choose like, Ooh, we could use that or we could use this or so it just kind of, it was some of my imagination in play, but it also came with playing with my kids still some more. Yeah, I you just use the magic word there, imagination, right? I if if I can think of like one word to describe you, Darren, right? It's like imaginative. That every experience I've had, either seeing you at a convention or interacting with you over, well, now my now broken computer over the past two years, um, you just you oh, ooze is such a bad word, but you ooze creativity and imagination. And it's, yeah, so I, I have no doubt that these pages are absolutely filled with, with fun and whimsy amidst all of the rightfully tough topics to cover. Um, I'm going to do a total 180 here, so I apologize for how, how rough this transition is. Um, but I, I have a friend who's a social worker 
um, I guess by friend, I should say, it's someone who I went on a very awkward first date with a couple weeks ago. Um, and there's probably not going to be a second. She didn't say thank you when I bought dinner. It's fine. It's fine. Anywho, we were talking about foster children and the pandemic and how the foster care system has been overloaded beyond where it was already at in stasis, which I don't imagine was a good spot to start with. I'm curious, you know, in, in your experience and to the, in my mind, you're a subject matter expert, maybe you know nothing, but um, what is the, how does the foster care system as it's, it's currently break down across uh, ethnic lines? Like, is it, is it, worse for for children of color is is that a safe assumption unfortunately or or is there parity there um i mean i would say that one's hard to answer because i think it really depends on an area by area basis um like i know if i'm comparing um to where i'm living now orlando compared to um rural illinois where i first started fostering you're going to find that rural illinois was um like there were some areas where they would not send um, black children too, because there was such strong prejudice. Um, where um, if it exists here in Orlando, I haven't been made note of it. Um, so, but I mean, there's all there's definitely room for improvement. Um, there's just even um, there's cultural things that that need to be learned more. Like I I can remember we had some kiddos in, from foster care that were that were black, and we had to reach out to other um, like black women, black men that, to take us under their wing and be like, okay, how do we do their hair? Um, what should we not, what should we be like? There are just even things like we had one little girl and her hair was like breaking off and like, we didn't know anything about nightcaps, like, cause I, we don't wear nightcaps at night. And so like, there are just things that we had to learn and we had to be more sensitive about. Um, so I think there's always room for improvement and, and growth with that. Um, but as far as getting to the, the deep part of your question, I think it's going to be by an area by area basis, but I, there are 400,000 kiddos ready, um, in foster care system in America every, like at any given moment. So you can bet that there's a lot of progress that needs to be made on all with that many kids. So before we get to carry and nerd out about audio production and voiceover work, cause boy, do I want to do that. Darren, I'm, I'm curious, when you think about whose hands you want this book to end up in, and certainly the blanket answer being as many people as possible, you know, we talked a little bit about how this book certainly transcends beyond maybe your typical generalization of people who are directly involved with foster and adoptive care. Is this something that, like, like when I think about shopping the book, right, are you calling up different like social systems, like social workers, like agencies and be like, Hey guys, new books coming out. I think it would be really helpful for, for your staff, for maybe the families you work with, like check it out. Like how, how does that work? Not yet. Let me emphasize yet. Um, what we would like to do in the future is uh, create uh, where people can donate books so that we can get them out to agencies. And we can get that. obviously like I, I want, because this is, um, has foster kiddos in it. I, I do want foster and adoptive kiddos to read it because there's nothing. One one thing that really stinks in humanity is when we feel alone and we feel like we're the only person that's experiencing something. I mean, that's why I love my Potter friends because they usually get that. They get that 
um, that they can feel alone or like a misfit, but the Potter community accepts them and takes them in and they find a home there. And I want them to find that. I want foster and adoptive kiddos to find that and feel like they're normal and they have a normal situation that's going on. Cause a lot of them, even in the book, that is one thing that Grit deals with is just not feeling normal. And a lot of kids that are in foster care or even adopted, they feel like everyone knows when no one knows, like they're so self-conscious about it and feel like they don't fit out that like we like multiple times I've had to have the conversation with kids. Like no one knows unless you told them like teachers aren't allowed to tell. I'm not allowed. Like no one's told unless you told, cause it's a safety thing. Um, so I would love for that. Like the really the bigger picture though, is I, like people like your listeners who are passionate about changing the world. Um, people that, that love their fandom but they just don't want to stop there. They want to do something. That's how, who I hope this book falls in the hands of because like Carrie was talking about, it's it's fun. It's whimsical. Um, my critics are calling it like a mashup between Harry Potter and Narnia. So it's, it's right up their alley and it's a lot of fun, but then it's asking you to learn about these social topics and then do something. Like I don't want, I really want people that are going to raise up the banner and start a movement to do something. Your critics are comparing your book to two very creative, impactful franchises. My critics, namely Danny, call me loud and verbose. So um, I, I much prefer your critics. So if you want to get your critics in touch with, you know, with my work, um, you know, just, just set it up. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll have them contact you. We'll see if they so I Now, that's not to say that they haven't called me loud, but. <laughs> about the book they say other things <laughs> i don't think i've ever used the actual words loud and verbose yeah usually you use much worse words so um i was i was just being kind to myself there he Anywho. is completely lying but carrie let's talk with you a little bit about your experience of recording this book and kind of finding the voice for the book for you and what that looks like uh, as being a voiceover artist Sure. Can I just interrupt real quick? The, the, so we're in production for the audiobook right now. So it will be out after the release of, of the book. So people can really look forward to that, just so you know. Sure. So, yes. Yeah, so um, at first, uh, Darren approached me. And so I actually recorded uh, three relatively random uh, chapters and just to kind of get a feel um, and that was when we actually discussed Darren and I uh, on the proper pronunciations uh, because I had I had some of it wrong. Um, but so um, then, you know, just walking through, um, I think it, it does basically kind of any character work. You do have to uh, look at the foundation of the character, you know, the age, gender, you know, um, nationality, that sort of thing. And then also what their role is in in the book. So. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, a character, first of all, that a main character didn't have a voice that was either really obnoxious or painful for me to use. Um, but then also, you know, kind of kind of did fit them. Um, and it's really funny that, you know, Darren did actually say that, you know, the teacher character um, is reminiscent of Umbridge. I did not know that, but I think the voice uh, is, is actually attuned to that. So that's kind of funny. Um, so, yeah. So then you just kind of go through. Um, I did, you know, obviously there are going to be some uh, second guessing, you know, as as Darren said, in, in a much 
more important, you know, real world of, you know, the, you know, inequality uh, that also kind of goes into the entertainment industry where there's a little bit of that struggle of, you know, do I take this role or this, you know, project away from, you know, someone of, of color who might be able to be more representation, you know, of what's actually happening in the book. Um, but I feel like it's, it is a story that it does, it does unify everyone. I mean, I think it really does bring everyone together. And so I just kind of went with that and, um, and yeah, just tried my best. I'm sorry. (laughs) I can't say anything. My, um, (laughs) my process is very internalized. Well, I didn't want to assume that because I am an audio book listener and I know some stories go with character voices and some don't. So I didn't want to assume that you were going to be doing voices or if it was just a straight read through. Uh, it would have been um, impossible for me to just do a straight read through. And I, I think Darren knew that um, because when, yeah, I mean, just kind of, again, listening to my demos, not a shameless plug, just saying um, I, as a child, I used to uh, get, you know, reprimanded because my voice was so expressive. I, I there's just no way um, actually a lot of my, my gifts, they, they tell me I need to be a little bit more monotone in my delivery. And so to me, I'm like, oh, this is so boring. It sounds like I'm reading it, you know, and they're like, no, this is perfect. So yes, yeah, so I'm definitely of that um, very more expressive, try to bring it to life. And I think that approach really does fit with Gruitt's Hope because obviously there are very serious, you know, subjects, but it is whimsical. And so to kind of, you know, bring that in, um, I think that really helps. And, and I personally enjoy the stories where the narrator attempts at least to make voices. I know my male voices are a little bit uh, lacking in the, in the deep range, but um, at least you can tell the characters apart. <laughs> we completely accept all shameless plugs, especially with Steven on this podcast. He is the king of shameless plugs. Shameless plug for the crystal clear audio that you're hearing coming from my end, courtesy of my Yeti blue microphone and all of the listening that I'm doing during this episode is done through my Bose QC35-2 headphones, um, both, uh, neither, neither of which are sponsors yet, but shameless plug to those two amazing uh, entertainment companies, I guess. And if they just want to send me some free products, I'll keep plugging their stuff. And if they don't, I'll keep doing it until they do. So it's really a zero-sum game for me and a win-win for them. So what does production of an audiobook look like? And either of you can answer that and how like you prepare and go through that process. Sure. So um, usually, you know, you um, read through or skim the book, you know, in full to get an idea of of what's happening. And uh, then you go in. um, uh, Every artist will tell you they do it differently potentially. I know some people who go in the booth and read for eight hours straight. Uh, I feel that even though I might potentially be able to do that, you can hear it in my voice if I go too long. So my sessions lasted about two hours. Uh, I usually, I went by chapter by chapter um, to kind of, you know, let myself know and pace it. Um, So once it goes through that, you know, initial me reading um, and that gets, you know, interrupted just like everything. So, you know, someone's at my door, my dog barks or I, you know, get a coughing fit. uh, I then go and and clean up the audio to remove all of that stuff. And then it is uh, it goes over to the editing process where that actually clears out all of the the breaths and makes the um, what do you call it? The the pacing 
an actual something that you can listen to, because oftentimes I will take big um, breaks in between sentences to make sure that I I said it right. Um, And especially since I do character voices, sometimes I don't hit the mark and I have to redo that sentence again. Um, So then it goes through that. Um, And then, of course, at at that point, it it will go to Darren and anyone on the team that he wants to listen to it, make sure that things are um, you know, appropriate, they sound good. Uh, the editor will also let me know if I misspoke. Um, we uh, Thank goodness we do have a, a partner. So the editor will be looking through the book as I'm reading. Um, so since I took out all of the mistakes, it'll be a normal story. It's just going to be really slow paced. The, he's going to read through and say, oh, you said, you know, this word instead of that one, I go back, do a retake, we insert it. Um, but then then it'll go into an actual process where it's essentially the end audiobook, um, but it's not, you know, officially approved. So he still gets, you know, just in case something doesn't sound right, um, there's another another editing cycle. So <laughs> and Darren from- thing- yeah, go ahead. No, I, mean, I was just gonna say, and then once it goes through all that, we eventually put it up on uh, our website for purchase or we we give it over to Amazon. Well, that's perfect. I was I was gonna ask a follow up question, but that that's easy enough. No need. I guess maybe to to wrap our our conversation here around Gruitt's hope. How does it feel? I, a, a question for both of you, right? Like Darren, second book. You know, Carrie, you you are someone who who reads audiobooks and, and does audio production. This this book is not new territory for either of you. So, you know, I. For instance, I, I've interviewed on other podcasts people who are creating things for the first time. And there's that shiny, this is my first child, I'm going to cherish it for the rest of my life kind of feeling, right? That doesn't necessarily exist here, right? Because you've done this before. This is something that is familiar. But at the same time, there has to be a sense of accomplishment and pride, no? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, I mean, the first book that I did was uh, almost like an activity book. So this is purely a story. So it it is different. Um yeah, and there's, I mean, for me, it it is because I'm using a lot of personal, like even um, with coming up with possibly a second one, like I'm coming up with a lot of personal um, thoughts and different things like that in it. And so it, there's a lot more to the book writing process than people think and getting it to completion to where you're like, oh, look, it's a book that I would see in Barnes and Noble. Um, And so it's almost, I would compare it to a marathon, like, and you're constantly training and you're constantly doing things. And and now I know what to do because I've done it before. So I know what training to do. But by the time you reach the finish line, it's still like, oh my gosh, I crossed the finish line. This is so amazing. Um, For authors though, it's like short lived because, I've had people tell me, okay, you birthed the baby. Now you have to take care of it. So it's like you published it, but now you have to make sure that people can find it and actually read it. Cause it does, you no good if people aren't reading it. And Carrie, before we get to you, natural transition point here, just super quickly, Darren, where can people find and read the book? Yeah. Yes. Um, people can go over to the book's website, which is magicalcreatures.com. That's magicalcreatures without the last E.com. GoDaddy wanted to charge me like a thousand dollars to get the one spelled correctly. So if I took the last E off of creatures, it was like five bucks. So magical creatures without the last E.com. And both books are for sale there. Um, I will tell people you can get it on Amazon, but if you want to help what Transfiguring Adoption is doing and help um, families 
you're going to do more good going through our website as Amazon takes a lot of the proceeds from us. Carrie, I'll slightly modulate my question to you and ask, A, how does it feel, right? But but B, as, as a you know voiceover recording professional, is this a project that goes in your portfolio and you move on with your life? Is this something where the characters kind of stay in your head like you, like their their voices kind of stick with you how, how does how does the transition back into normal life so to speak kind of work for you definitely the latter um no yeah first of all this it, it it's something i'm very proud of uh to be a part of but i do feel like it is it is so much more um and it is so important and uh you know like darren's uh critiques or critics were saying you know it's it's it is very harry potter narnia-esque and so this is a world that you just want to be a part of um and i think definitely gruitt actually sits with me a lot <laughs> in my mind um he is an adorable little boy and um and actually uh Charty, which is another character, he's he's the older brother. Um, ironically, is is actually kind of sits with me a lot more, and uh, I don't know if that might be a surprise when you read it and come back to this podcast. Um, but no, so I, I definitely um, every time, uh, you know, like like Darren said, obviously my my portion is just a fraction of what goes into making this book. Um, but even helping bring them to life through voices, um, you do get really attached to them, and so. I feel like they're my children, not as much as Darren's. Maybe I'm the the funky aunt, um, but they they will they will live with me, and I and I definitely want to see more from them. Um, and and just yeah, I, I it's 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 a wonderful. It was a, it's a really fun experience. <laughs> I will say from what I've heard um, from what Carrie has sent me, it's almost like like I've watched on Disney Plus. I've watched various things where. Um, they're making like the frozen movies or different things like that. And then they're acting in what the voice actors do. And it's almost like there's a story and there's the animation and you could have the story and everything without the voices, but there's something about what the voice actors do that bring the care. Like they, like what she was saying, they bring them to life. Like there's just a whole new level. So while I know a lot of people are having fun reading it and it's, it's like add am- your imagination here. And I think like purists are going to be like, no, you got to read the book. Like you got to read it. But the audio version, like, I think it just brings it because she is doing voices. It brings it to life. So um, it just gives, if you're, if you're having trouble with kickstarting your imagination, Carrie like boots it into next Friday and like, just, it makes it really easy just to be like, Oh, this is a world I live in. Now. And then I'm sure you guys will update us when the audiobook is available. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. Right now I will tell everyone, I, I, wow. This, we're actually like, you guys don't even know how much like you're getting that we haven't told other podcasts. Um, so the book right now, Carrie has finished all the chapters. So we're looking for an engineer right now that's going to go through and edit everything. Um, and then they'll get it back to me and we'll figure it out. So it'll, it'll definitely, I don't want to make promises on here, but I would say it'll definitely be before the end of the year. And look, if it's not before the end of the year, you know, whatever, it's fine. It'll, it'll be out when it's out and it'll be out when it's ready. And, and, and that's that. And we will let people know. Oh, and we will let people know whenever that happens. Have no doubt about that. It, if there's two things I have learned over the course of this podcast's run, it is A, don't 
self-solicit looking for a Harry Potter wife because all of the people who you don't want to become your wife will message the podcast. And B, we have developed a loving, incredible partnership with you, Darren, and with Transfiguring Adoption. And we are so happy to help promote any and everything that y'all are doing um, whenever it comes up. So um oh uh, you guys are awesome well look i have so much fun with you guys awesome's a strong word we are we are yeah that's that's that yeah we are period that's fine you guys are awesome no i'm i'm really like i creating magic was one of the podcasts that i first was like yeah creating pod or creating creating podcasts you guys can do like an offshoot now creating magic like was one that i was like yeah i want to talk with you guys about it there is a second book that we're working on so um i obviously have already alluded to that um, so we'll see how, how life happens. Um, but 2022 potentially grit strife will be coming out. Um, and we'll be on here with Carrie talking about how she had to come up with more characters because I, I have more magical creatures that are introduced and we're, you're going to find out that the magical communities that are introduced into the book aren't just in America, but they're in other countries. And so um, we're going to be introduced to um, Min Jing who lives in uh, Korea. And she, and for those that don't know, I lived in Korea, South Korea for a while. So again, it's, I'm drawing off a personal experience, um, but you're going to learn about her community and what happened to it. And they're going to be some magical creatures that only you can find over there. The third book will be called The Secrets of Gruet, will take place in Brazil, will come out after a long hiatus, like four years from now, will be the book that really is the fulcrum to determine if there's more books coming out in the series. We'll have you back. We'll have you back. We'll have you back next time. I will tell the untold stories next time. The Secrets of Darren Fink. Perfect. Danny, I know you wanted to wrap by promoting TA in one additional way. Um, So the floor is yours, my esteemed co-host. Well, I know that, and Darren, you could probably speak a little more to this. Our good friend Chelsea at Gryffindor Pinup is part of the Central Florida Witches Ball, which will be happening the weekend this releases, and the proceeds are benefiting Transfiguring Adoption. So if you're in the area... Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, like, uh, if you're in the Orlando area, um, it's October 16th. Um, so the book actually comes out October 19th officially, but we're, um, I got permission from the, the publishing company to allow that to be the official party kickoff um, on October 16th. The Witches Ball is an amazing, amazing group of people. Like, I know, like, so if your listeners are, are have gone to um, various Potter parties or festivals um, and they've done Yule Balls and stuff like that, like I know some people are thinking, oh, a Yule Ball. Yeah, so it's a bunch of friends that I have from work and we decide to go to a fancy restaurant and we all get dressed up and we were like, ooh, it's a Yule Ball. No, this is like professional artists, actors, musicians, like, like thespians, like and they've transformed this whole outdoor area um, into um, like they have a fairy forest. They're going to have a great hall. They're going to have um, just like this huge area that's it's amazing. It's going to be all immersive. Um, it's going to be a one night event um, where it's almost like a, a mystery theater type thing where there's going to be a storyline happening as you're in the event and as you're going through it. So it's going to be so much fun. 
um, people definitely need to come. And like you said, they, every, they're doing so much to benefit transfiguring adoption throughout. Yes. And we can't forget to shout out friend of the pod, Karina at the brew house table, who will be doing the food for that event yes. also. And I'll throw out too the website for that is CFL central Florida, CFL, which And the Instagram is also CFL, Ball. Mm-hmm. And then Carrie, do you have any exciting things you would like to promote or even just promote yourself and let us know where we can find you? Sure. Um, well, yeah, you can find all of my demos if you'd like to listen um, on my website. It's my name, CarrieFable.com. Um, and I, I mean, I really want to shout out Gruitz Hope. Um, I'm also uh, recently did a, um, Suki's Plan B, which is right now a mobile app game, but they're hoping to, to move on to, to bigger um, avenues. So that was very exciting and fun to do as well. So. <laughs> I have nothing to promote, Danny. I'm just, no. That's a first. It, I would promote creating magic, but I can't really promote it if you're already listening to it because, well, the promotion would, would be redundant at that point. So I will just say good night. That's all I got. <laughs> Right. Thank you guys for joining us. This was great. And best of luck with everything with the book. Thank you so much, you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And that is our show.